0: Welcome to the LACNETS Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Yen. I'm the LACNETS Program Director, as well as a caregiver and advocate for my husband who is living with NET. In each podcast episode, we talk to a NET expert who answers your top 10 questions. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please discuss your questions and concerns with your physician. Hi, it's my pleasure to welcome Megan Lasbo, NET dietitian from Cedar sinai Medical Center. Um, Mel- Megan, welcome to the show, and I'd love to have you introduce yourself first.
1: Oh, Thank you, Lisa. It's so wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, as you said, my name is Megan Laszlo, and I'm an oncology dietitian at Cedars-Sinai. I support um, one of our neuroendocrine oncologists, Dr. Henda Farr, um, and I've been supporting him for the past um, 10 years at Cedars.
0: Yeah, we're so glad you joined us. We had you join us for our in-person meetings when we were doing that prior to COVID, some of our um, weekly support groups and our patients and caregivers, our community has learned so much from you. So we're really excited to have you today to answer some of our top questions about NET nutrition. So let's get started with the first question. Um, This is a very common one. The first question is what kind of diet benefits NET patients?
1: Well, The type of diet that's beneficial is one that your body tolerates, nourishes you and helps you maintain weight and muscle mass. You know, individuals with non functional nets, those that don't have hormone producing tumors, generally benefit from a plant based diet. Uh, the Mediterranean diet is a well known example of a plant based diet that centers on legumes, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, and fruit with small amounts of animal protein. You know, Protein is an important nutrient for all cancer patients. It helps maintain muscle mass, immune function, and aids in recovery from surgery and other cancer-directed therapies. Now, most cancer patients benefit from eating high-quality sources of protein like fish, chicken, meat, eggs, soybeans, legumes, and dairy with each meal. Uh, Individuals that don't eat animal products likely need to supplement with protein powder to get adequate amounts of protein, especially if they don't eat soy in addition to being vegan. You know, individuals with functional nets that have hypersecretion of the hormones serotonin, gastrin, glucagon, vasoactive intestinal peptide, and somatostatin often suffer from diarrhea so the best diet for these individuals is one that helps manage diarrhea by slowing GI motility and increasing absorption of fluids and nutrients Um, therefore these individuals generally benefit from a high protein low fiber low lactose diet While a low-fiber diet may not sound like a healthy diet, it's a healthy choice to help the body better absorb nutrients and energy, and you can ensure adequate nutrient intake by choosing cooked vegetables, soft fruits, refined grains, oatmeal, and healthy fats like nut butters, olive oil, and also lean proteins. Those individuals with insulinomas struggle more with hypoglycemia and need to eat very frequently, and also choose complex carbohydrates like legumes, whole grains, fruit, and proteins throughout the day to manage blood sugar and energy levels.
0: Thank you for that very thorough answer. So what I hear you saying is there's not one diet, there's a range of diets and it kind of depends.
1: Exactly, it's very individualized depending not only on the person's food preferences, but also the diagnosis, location of the disease and and surgical history as well.
0: Yeah, we're all zebras and need to kind of um, tailor the diet to our individual stripes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the second question, which is somewhat related, um, and this also comes up a lot, which foods cause carcinoid syndrome symptoms? Well,
1: foods can be Um, a trigger for carcinoid syndrome. You know, that said carcinoid syndrome can also be triggered by exercise, alcohol, um, epinephrine, and emotional stress, as well as eating. You know, large meals are a common trigger because the presence of food in the stomach initiates intestinal hormone production. So for most individuals, small frequent meals are best. Uh, Other food-based triggers for carcinoid syndrome are spicy foods, fried foods, raw vegetables, and also high amine foods. Amines such as histamine, tyramine, tryptamine, etc. are a type of protein that occur in foods that have been preserved or fermented. Things like alcohol, aged cheeses, Uh, yeast extracts, kimchi, sauerkraut, tofu, um, and fish sauce. They're also found in some fresh foods such as avocado, banana, peanut, Brazil nuts, coconuts, cola, and coffee. Uh, It's a non-intuitive ingredient to avoid, especially with diarrhea, because most people gravitate towards the BRAT diet and start to eat more bananas um, to help manage the symptom of diarrhea. But bananas can actually worsen diarrhea from carcinoid syndrome. Now, food triggers are very individualized and I encourage everyone with carcinoid syndrome to keep a food and symptom diary to help identify which foods are triggers for you. You know, not everyone with carcinoid syndrome has symptoms after eating high amine foods. You know, so some individuals may unnecessarily restrict their diet by trying to avoid all foods that could contribute to carcinoid syndrome.
0: Thank you, that's really helpful to understand which foods to avoid. And and again, that that could be individualized as well. Um, So the third question, what foods make diarrhea better or worse? Uh, Certain foods
1: uh, such as those that are high in soluble fiber can improve diarrhea by binding stools and slowing GI transit time. Examples of these foods are oatmeal, bananas, applesauce, cooked carrots, and cooked other starchy vegetables like potatoes or turnips. Um, Refined grains like white rice, white bread, white pasta are generally better tolerated than whole grains like brown rice or quinoa. Cooked vegetables are better than raw vegetables. And this is because the cooking softens them and makes them break down more easily and they're just better tolerated. Sometimes beans can be tolerated, um, especially if they're the canned beans or beans that are sold in a Tetra pack. Those are digested easier than dried beans that are perhaps cooked at home. Those with diarrhea should avoid greasy, fried, very spicy or concentrated or foods that contain concentrated sweets like cake or icing. Um, Caffeine and alcohol can also make diarrhea worse and are dehydrating. Persistent diarrhea can cause lactose intolerance, and so individuals that have ongoing just persistent diarrhea may need to avoid lactose-containing foods like milk, cream, and foods commonly made with milk, like waffles, pancakes, scones, cream sauces, and muffins. Um, Lactose-free and non-dairy alternatives like oat milk or almond milk would make great substitutes if you need to avoid lactose. Um, Coconut and soy milk may not be well tolerated by those with carcinoid syndrome if there is a sensitivity to amines. In addition to that, certain dietary supplements can worsen diarrhea like magnesium and vitamin C because these can have a laxative effect. And something that may be helpful is soluble fiber supplements like psyllium fiber um, can help treat diarrhea or help manage it in the same way that eating bananas or applesauce does. Um, You can usually take psyllium fiber up to three times per day. Uh, And I usually prefer the wafers instead of the powdered products for psyllium. Um, And for those that take, Um, Pancreatic enzymes, it's important to take the psyllium fiber separately from meals so that the extra fiber doesn't interfere with the digestive enzymes. You know, so while while managing food choices and you know, considering supplements can help manage diarrhea, it's important to try to get to the cause. You know, is the diarrhea caused by fat malabsorption? Is it carcinoid syndrome? Is it infection? Surgical changes in anatomy, like short bowel syndrome, or removal of the ileocecal valve, which can result in bile acid diarrhea. Uh, or is it a side effect from treatment? And these are all valid questions to ask your healthcare provider to try to
0: get to the cause. That's very helpful. And you've named a lot of foods that people may be sad to to give up and also um, some nice substitutes so that we can have maybe not a regular cake and icy, but you know a modified one as you kind of noted. Exactly.
1: The goal is not to limit the diet too much and still have a wide variety of choices.
0: So I can have my cake and eat it too. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just a different kind of cake. Um, So the next question is what kinds of fluids and how much are needed with diarrhea?
1: Fluid replacement is, is vital for individuals with diarrhea to help prevent dehydration. You now, on average, you need about 64 ounces or two liters of liquids every day. You know, with diarrhea, estimate that you need an additional eight or 248 ounces or 240 milliliters of fluid for each bowel movement of diarrhea to replace losses. You know, and for those, you know, with neuroendocrine tumors, sometimes you can have many, many, many bowel movements of diarrhea. So it's still important to try to replace those losses every time. You know, good fluids for rehydration include um, rehydration beverages like Pedialyte, and sports drinks. You know, PDLA is more concentrated in electrolytes and has about as much sugar as the low sugar sports drinks. So I think it's a really great choice, um, especially if you're struggling with, with rehydrating yourself. Uh, I would caution against mo- some products labeled as electrolyte water because they may be deceptively low in electrolytes and are not good for rehydration in a clinical sense. Um, if you don't have sensitivity to tomatoes from carcinoid syndrome, tomato juice is also good for rehydration because it's high in sodium and potassium. Um, other liquids high in electrolytes are, are things like broth, vegetable broth, beef broth, um, coconut water, and juice. You now, and if drinking liquids is difficult, you could also try eating high water content foods like fruits, oatmeal, or cream of wheat, soups, smoothies, and popsicles can also help with hydration.
0: Thank you for that. There's lots of helpful, practical suggestions there. And I know this question comes up a lot. So thank you for those suggestions. So our next question is, which dietary supplements are beneficial for NET patients?
1: That is a common question. Um, You know, I will say not everyone should take dietary supplements. So check with your doctor and dietitian to see if there's a good reason to take a supplement, such as a nutrient lacking from the diet or evidence of a deficiency like a low vitamin D lab or, you know, severe diarrhea or malabsorption. Um, It's important to be aware that some supplements can be harmful. Um, Some can interfere with medications and also treatment. You know, for example, there's conflicting but concerning research about the use of antioxidant supplements during chemotherapy and radiation treatment. So do exercise caution um, with dietary supplements. You know, that said, limited, um, there is limited research on nutrition, nutrient deficiencies in net patients. Um, Most commonly um, is niacin deficiency among those with carcinoid syndrome, and then also vitamin D deficiency. Um, So I would suggest asking your physician to check your vitamin D lab um, to see if you are deficient. And if you are, that lab value um, can help guide the amount of supplement to take. You know, for individuals that have a very severe deficiency, you may need quite a bit of vitamin D, whereas if it's, you know, just a normal lab, just small amounts of vitamin D, like a thousand IUs would be adequate.
0: Thank you for highlighting two specific areas that you know there might be deficiencies that we can check check in on. So you mentioned niacin. What is niacin, and what is why is it important for individuals with carcinoid syndrome?
1: Uh, so niacin is also called vitamin B three. Um, it is a important nutrient in the body that's needed for energy metabolism and DNA production. Um, Individuals that have carcinoid syndrome have serotonin-producing disease. Um, And so in the body, tryptophan is used to make serotonin and niacin. When this happens, most of the body's tryptophan gets used to make serotonin instead of being used to make niacin. And so without adequate tryptophan to produce niacin, a deficiency can occur. In other words, the presence of carcinoid syndrome increases demand for niacin. Um, It also appears that the longer you live with carcinoid syndrome, the more likely you are to have a niacin deficiency. So some signs and symptoms of niacin deficiency, when it's severe are diarrhea, dementia, or other neurological changes, um, and also dermatitis. More research is really needed in this area to help identify subclinical deficiencies because it is a big concern for these patients and niacin deficiency can cause death as well. It's a very important nutrient. Um, so current recommendations support taking around 40 milligrams of niacin twice daily to prevent deficiency for individuals with carcinoid syndrome. Um, And those with a known deficiency diagnosed by a urine test should take at least 100 milligrams per day. Uh, And I think it's important to find these low dosages of niacin because high dosages of niacin that are commonly available in pharmacies um, or online can cause flushing of the skin and it can be quite uncomfortable, Um, although this flushing is different than the flushing that occurs with carcinoid syndrome.
0: Thank you for that. Um, and, and that exercising caution with the dosing as well. Um, so our next question is, how does fat malabsorption affect digestion? So we hear a lot about fat malabsorption with the medicine analogs. Tell us a little bit about that and how that might affect digestion. So for
1: NET patients, uh, fat malabsorption is commonly caused by treatment with somatostatin analogs like octreotide and lanreotide. Um, It can also happen when there's disease of the pancreas. A recent study showed that 40% of patients on somatostatin analogs developed pancreatic exocrine deficiency, and this means that the pancreas isn't producing enough digestive enzymes, and this lack of enzymes causes malabsorption, which is a condition where the body can't fully break down and absorb nutrients, primarily fat. Um, when this happens, any fat that can't be broken down and absorbed passes through your intestine. Um, And this can cause abdominal gas, bloating, cramping, and diarrhea. Um, Individuals with fat malabsorption may also see oil floating in the toilet with bowel movements or uh, see yellow or orange stools and These are sometimes termed light colored stools. Um, So these clinical signs and symptoms of steatorrhea mean that the fat that you're eating in your diet is is going through you undigested and unused. Um, And this is problematic, not only because it causes these symptoms, but if your body isn't able to absorb the fat that you're eating, you don't get the calories or the energy from your food. Um, And this can result in weight loss and malnutrition. And it can also result in fat soluble vitamin deficiencies including the vitamin D deficiency that I mentioned
0: earlier. Thank you for that. Um, And you know, that ties back into what you were saying earlier about the vitamin D deficiency. So it's important to kind of make sure Sure. we have appropriate supplementation. Um, So follow up question to that. How do I know if the prescription enzymes are working? Well, the enzymes
1: should help with those GI symptoms, the gas, the bloating, the diarrhea, the, the color of the stools should be brown. Um, they shouldn't you, shouldn't you shouldn't see oil. Um, so if you see those signs and symptoms resolved, then that's one way to identify that they're effective. Um, the prescription enzymes can also help with weight loss. So if you continue to have GI symptoms and weight loss after starting enzymes, you know, First, be sure that you're taking them appropriately. Make sure that you're taking them with your first bite of your meals and your snacks. Um, You may need um, additional enzymes with multiple course meals. If you're having a lengthy dinner or a holiday meal where you're having multiple courses over a long period of time, Um, if you're having second helpings or desserts, be sure to take your enzymes again. Um, Enzymes also need to be taken with snacks as well. Now, I usually tell my patients that they're just snacking on a piece of fruit, like an apple. They don't really need to take the enzymes with that because it's just pure carbohydrate, but for most foods that are are mixed that contain proteins and fats as well, you should be sure to take the enzymes with those foods. Um, And then, you know, be sure to take them at the beginning of your meal usually around the first bite if you take them before after your meal it decreases the effectiveness um, because you really want those enzymes to travel with the food that you've eaten through your digestive tract um, so that they can open up when they get to the small bowel and and help break down the food Yeah, that said if the enzymes are ineffective and controlling your symptoms, and you're taking them appropriately, you may need a higher dose. You know the adult dosing range is actually quite large, at twenty-five thousand to eighty thousand lipase units per meal. So if you look at your dosage and see the number of lipase units that you've been prescribed, and it's really low, let's say it's six thousand lipase units per meal, that's not going to be effective. So if you think you're not getting the full benefit from taking them, follow up with a prescribing physician. You know, Sometimes you just need a higher dose than you're taking. And I do um, advise against over-the-counter enzymes that are non-prescription enzymes. And you know, these are poorly regulated and the dosing is usually too small to be effective. So if you have difficulty affording your prescription, ask about assistance programs.
0: Thank you for that. So many helpful uh, tips and pearls that you mentioned and so many common um, questions that come up surrounding the enzymes. Um, and just like you said with diet, it needs to be customized, right? There's not a one size fits all. Right. Yeah. Um, so another question that comes up often um, is, a, and this, area of bacterial overgrowth. So what is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth or SIBO?
1: So we commonly call this SIBO. <laughs> SIBO is a, a disease in which the small intestine is abnormally colonized by a large number of bacteria or abnormal types of bacteria. And so while there isn't current research that links SIBO with nets, Um, There is evidence that disruptions to the protective mechanisms um, that prevent bacterial overgrowth um, can be affected by individuals with NETs, you know, so those protective megani- mechanisms that can be disrupted that relate to net patients include uh, reduced gastric acid and pancreatic secretions, um, surgical changes to small bowel anatomy such as strictures, fistulas, um, the creation of blind loops, and also the removal of the ileocecal valve. Um, and patients that have had extensive intestinal resection that resor- results in short bowel syndrome are also at risk for SIBO. Yeah, and the signs and symptoms of SIBO overlap with most net symptoms and include abdominal pain, bloating, um, flatulence, and excessive gas production, um, and diarrhea. You know, SIBO can also cause fat malabsorption as well. You know, so if you, you feel like this maybe something that you're at risk for, you just feel constant bloating, that's not resolved by other measures, like taking enzymes and things like that, and you just feel like something's wrong, you know, follow up with your doctor, see if you can meet with a gastroenterologist. Um, the, the test for SIBO is to do a breath test. And then the treatment is usually antibiotics that um, help control levels of bacteria in the
0: intestinal tract. Thank you for that. And that's really helpful to shed some light on this area. Okay, the last question, but definitely not the least. This comes up quite frequently. Megan, what can be done to help with weight gain?
1: I'm so glad that you asked that question because I think that weight gain can be such a struggle, especially for individuals that are having persistent diarrhea um, or don't want to eat, struggling with eating or are having side effects from treatment that are impairing oral intake. Um, So some things that can be done are, you know, one, try to eat throughout the day, try to eat something every three or four hours and make sure that that something has a good source of quality protein, like chicken or fish, um, maybe a protein powder. You know, For example, a protein shake could be a great way to, to supplement the diet, especially if you don't feel like eating, but know it's time to. Um, So smoothies can be made um, to be quite caloric. I think the trick with the smoothie is, you know, one, make sure you have a source of protein in it. um, And that could be protein powder. Um, For individuals with diarrhea, I would suggest just 100% whey protein isolate. And then that would ensure that there's no lactose in the protein powder. Um, Fruits, are a great addition. And whatever liquid you want to use is fine, maybe almond milk or something like that, since you already have the source of protein being the powder. And then make sure you add some source of fat. And that's what's going to give the smoothie more calories. And that could be a tablespoon of almond butter. It could be a tablespoon of coconut cream, if that's something your body tolerates, it could be avocado if you wanted to do more like a green smoothie. Um, But those sources of fat are going to make it um, higher in calories and help with weight gain. You know, other options would be to purchased ready to drink nutrition shakes uh, and there's a wide variety of these options um, they can be very caloric you know, so one of the highest calorie options in this realm is is boost high cat very high calorie uh, and this is a product that's eight ounces and has 530 calories in it um, it's also very high in fat so for individuals taking enzymes you may need more enzymes with this than you do with most of your meals um, just to help your body digest it but it can help with weight gain. Um, another option is um, Boost Soothe. This is a clear liquid option that is eight ounces and 300 calories, but a lot of our patients like it because it's not sweet. Um, so that is a good um, option for those that don't like sweets. That said, it doesn't mean it's low in carbohydrates. So for individuals with di- diabetes or struggling with hyperglycemia, Boost Soothe isn't a great option, but I would suggest a, a low sugar nutrition drink, and that could be one that's formulated for diabetics, like Boost Glucose Control or Glucerna. Um, another option is by Orgain; um, they make a vegan option that is also low sugar and very similar to a diabetic shake. Um, and so those. The supplemental nutrition drinks can really make a difference. Um, I find that you may need to drink two a day to help if you're really not able to eat that much, Um, but those products can be quite helpful in addition to trying to eat small frequent meals throughout the day. And then yet another option for individuals with fat malabsorption would be to consider using what's called um, MCT oil or medium chain triglyceride oil. And this is a special type of fat uh, that you could add to your food um, that you don't need pancreatic enzymes to digest. It's just readily absorbed. Um, So that's could be another way to just get an extra 100 calories from trying a tablespoon of that once per day, see how your body tolerates it, and maybe use up to three tablespoons a day, you could add it to a smoothie, you could add it to toast, um, or other things just to give it a calorie
0: boost. Thank you, you again gave lots of little practical little tips. And um, as we've been talking about throughout a lot of individualizing care, because there's so many things to navigate, not only with net, but with potential diabetes with the high fat content in some of these as well. Okay. Well, thank you for all of this. I mean, there's so much um, helpful information here. And um, and I forgot to say this in the beginning, but as just a reminder that all of this, our podcast, all of our content are done for educational purposes only and do not substitute for medical advice. So we encourage all listeners to talk to your medical team if you have any questions or concerns about your individual care or treatment. As we heard today, so much of this needs to be in individualized. So it's really important to, um, to include your medical team and to talk to them and ask them about uh, your individual care. We all have our own opinions and these are our own opinions only. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of LACNETS. That being said, we really wanna thank you, Megan, for joining us today, for sharing from your um, really Incredible amount of wisdom, experience, and insight, and for the way you, you serve the NET community as a whole. So, thank you so much, and we're so grateful for you.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to work with y'all.
0: Thanks for listening to the LACNETS podcast. We want to thank our presenting sponsors, Ibsen Pharmaceutical and Advanced Accelerator Applications. For more information about neuroendocrine cancer, go to www.lacnets.org.